welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, and welcome to episode 227 of the podcast. Today's kind of a book club episode, but we are talking about other books as well, because I'm speaking with Sarah McKenzie of the Read Aloud family. You might know her for her podcast, The Read Aloud Revival. She has a new book out too, which is what we're going to talk about mostly today, called The Read Aloud Family. And the subtitle is Making Meaningful and Lasting Connections with Your Kids. What I love about this book is that some of it is based around why to read to your kids, how to read to your kids, the important lessons and discussions and attributes that are gained through that interaction of literacy in your home. And then the other part is actually book recommendations broken down by age group, which is so, so helpful. So I can't wait to talk with Sarah today about her motherhood journey, the role reading has played in her own family, and the recommendations she has for you as well. And you're definitely going to want to pick up her book, The Read Aloud Family, but we are going to be doing a giveaway of three books, so stick around to the end of the episode to find out about how that giveaway is going to work. All right, let's get to it with Sarah. All right, I'm so excited to be talking with fellow podcaster and now author, Sarah McKenzie. Hi, Sarah. Hi, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. Where am I speaking to you from today? Um, I'm in Spokane, Washington, so in the Northwest, and we finally, our snow finally has all melted, so I'm hoping that it stays that way. You never know here if we might get one last dose of winter. I know, just when you think you're done and then you switch out your clothes, that's when the next snow comes, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, except that I, I put that off for as long as possible because I have six kids and that is a chore with a capital C, that I will tell you. That is a chore, that is a chore. What's the age range of your kids? Uh, preschool to high school, so my oldest is 16 and our youngest are four and a half year old twins. Okay. I cannot wait to chat all about this. This is going to be so, so fun. For people that may not know you, not only are we going to talk a lot about literature and give recommendations and things like that, but we get to learn more about your motherhood journey today, which is something that you people may not know a lot about. So we just give a little background on yourself and your family. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like I said, we live in the Northwest. My husband, Andrew, and I have six kids um, and some teenagers, 16, 14, 12, and we have this big gap. We have a six-year-old daughter and four-and-a-half-year-old twin boys, and we homeschool them, and it's been so much fun to see how, um, you know, I started reading aloud a lot with them, mostly because I had heard some inspiring talks about how effective it could be to read aloud with your kids to help them become really good communicators, good writers and speakers, and then as I was reading aloud with them and we started creating this sort of culture around books and shared stories, I realized that not only were they getting the academic benefits, they were also all these really neat, um, it's almost like a, like an inside language or inside jokes sort Mm. of, you know how when your whole family goes to see a movie and then somebody says a quote from the movie later and everyone laughs or something, those kinds of experiences were happening all the time. And I realized that the books that we were sharing together were forming some of our best memories and also some really strong bonds. So that's been really, it's been really fun to see how books shape our family from our really little ones all the way up to our teenagers. And yeah, that's amazing. Oh, I just love that so much. Well, let's go back to very early motherhood for you. 16 years ago, 
when you just yes. had your one little baby? Was motherhood what you thought it would be or what were the best and the hardest parts for you? Oh, it was so much harder. You know, I was one of those people that really thought I would just rock motherhood. And then I had my first and was like, what the heck? This is so much harder than I thought it was going to be. And I was really conflicted because I was one of those mothers who read all the different parenting books and wanted to do it just right. And I was kind of angsty to realize there were so many different opinions on like napping or like how you get your child to sleep or, you know, like how often you should feed them. And I didn't realize there was all. And so I felt like I couldn't do it right because everybody was giving me different conflicting advice, you know? So I had a lot of angst about doing it just the right way. Um, but we had a baby every two years for those first few years. So it was sort of baptism by fire. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you didn't even have time to really think about it. Now you're looking back, reflecting like, Whoa, what did I do? And how did I get through and everything? But at the time you don't really have the time to think about it. You don't, you don't, and you don't have any perspective either. So mm-hmm. it really feels like it's going to last forever. And then once you have some older kids, you realize, oh, they weren't kidding when they, that lady in the grocery store stops you and says, it goes by so fast. And you're thinking, really? I'm just not today. To this endless <laughs> afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I wish I could go back and tell myself to trust my instincts because I was so worried about doing it right that I was defaulting to quote unquote experts to my, you know, the detriment of my own kids, just being able to watch them and see what they need and and trust my God given instincts on the best next step. So, you know, 16 years later, I wish I could go back and give myself a big hug and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to mess up a whole bunch and it's going to be okay. And trust your instincts because God gave those to you for a reason, you know? For sure. And, and I do want to ask, since you did have an older batch and then a little break and then a younger batch, are you a different mom? And do you parent differently intentionally, um, based on what you've learned throughout parenting your older kids and then now with your youngers? I think the biggest difference is just that I'm more relaxed and I'm less worried that every small or, you know, they don't feel like small decisions when you're in it, but Mm -hmm. all the decision day by day decisions, there's just so much grace for motherhood. Um, I also realize now this has made a big difference in the way I parent now. I think, uh, that our kids don't remember every single, you know, they don't remember everything, but there are some highlights. I was just listening to um, Dr. Meg Meeker's podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar it's with great. that one. Yes. And she said on there, you know, if you have fun with your kids for 10 minutes a week, then by the time your kids are grown, they will remember you as a fun mom. And so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to always be on, to always, you know, never be making mistakes and to be doing this whole mother thing, just motherhood thing, just just right. And I think I have a lot more grace for myself to realize, you know, it's a I'm more relaxed, I guess, about yeah. it. And realizing that, you know, teenage, here's the other thing that teenagers, I was so scared of teenagers because everybody is always like, oh, teenagers. And I think teenagers are so much fun. So I really feel like parenting has just gotten more and more fun the older the kids have gotten, which has been really, um, it's really helpful when you're in those toddler tantrum days mm-hmm. <laughs> and some people go, Oh, you're in the best moments right now. And you're thinking, Oh my goodness. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. It just, it keeps getting better. And teenagers are, I mean, they're just a lot of fun. So yeah, what a neat thing. And I just love the joy you find in each season. Like you have kids in all these seasons, but you see the uniqueness and the joy that can be found in all seasons, even though there's the hard stuff that comes with each one of them too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, there is an interesting thing, too, to having kids that span the seasons because we've got, like, preschoolers who get up at the crack of dawn and teenagers who keep us up really late with late like, How conversations. How do you do that? You know? Yes. And young kids are really physically tiring to mm-hmm. a mother, but teenagers are really, like, 
emotionally and mentally tiring. So it's a really different kind of dynamic. But you also see all the different kind of joys in the different age spans. So it's kind of fun to be able to live those at the same time. It's a little bit crazy, but it's also fun. That's so great. And I think it's great for the older kids to have some responsibility and some perspective over taking care of the younger siblings and everything and developing that love and that care for somebody. Yeah, I was just telling somebody this last weekend that there's not quite another way to teach a child to lay down their life for another than to spend an afternoon with a two-year-old. Yeah, (laughs) for free. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sorry, you're just part of this family. You're not, this is not called babysitting. It's kind of like, it's so funny when moms leave, and I I catch myself doing this too. I'm like, oh, my husband's going to babysit the kids while I go out. He's the father. Why am I saying babysit? Like, he's not the babysitter. He's a parent. I saw someone's Instagram post where she just had a new baby and her husband was holding holding her baby and she said, sometimes I have to catch myself from thinking, oh, isn't that so sweet? He loves my baby as much as I right, do. Right, right. <laughs> That's exactly baby. what it feels like. You know, yes. Forget. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm totally guilty of that. So funny. And so when did this reading thing start to take off more from just what you're doing in your own home to what you wanted to share more publicly. How did that community start for you? And what was the first form? Was it a blog? How did it all start? Yeah, it started actually as a series of blog posts where I was just writing out some of the benefits that reading aloud with my kids had on my family that I didn't expect. You know, the things like the really strong sibling bonds. Um, I had come across some really interesting and compelling research about how reading fiction helps our kids become more empathetic and compassionate people as they grow, which makes so much sense, right? Because when we read a story, we're slipping into the shoes of someone else and walking a mile in their shoes. And when we give our kids that practice of slipping into the shoes of someone else time and time again through all these stories, they become adults who look around them and see the people on the street or the person in the car next to them or standing behind them in the checkout line as somebody who has their own story with their own fears and desires and, you know, God-given gifts. And mm-hmm. and so I came across all this research and started just writing a little bit about it on my blog. I had a, a, a small blog that I was, um, you know, it was mostly where I was documenting pictures of my kids from my parents. And sure. things. But I, we did have um, a series of blog posts about reading aloud. At one point I thought, you know, I would love to make this a podcast because I love listening to podcasts and mm-hmm. I'm sort of <laughs> a little on the impulsive side. So I thought to myself, you know, if I could do a few episodes of a podcast about reading aloud, that would be really fun. And if I could talk to anybody... I would interview Andrew Pudua from the Institute for Excellence in Writing because his talk called Nurturing Competent Communicators was one of the primary um, sparks that really turned me on to reading aloud more with my kids and discovering this whole idea of shared stories within families. And I didn't think I'd be able to get him, though, because in the homeschooling world, Andrew Pudua is kind of like Andrew Pudua, right? Like, everybody <laughs> knows who he is. And I didn't even have a podcast. But I, I sent an email saying, hey, was there any chance you'd want to talk to me on a podcast about reading aloud? And his marketing director emailed me right back within a couple hours and said, yeah, he'd love to. And I <gasps> thought, oh, I think I just got myself into a big project because oh. now i got to figure out how to start a podcast. <laughs> And I really thought it would just be a couple of episodes long. Um, But what happened is it just sort of took on a life of its own. And so now we've got almost 100 episodes and three and a half million downloads and all this. And I think the reason why is because when families – it's the same reason that reading aloud became such a thing I couldn't couldn't keep to myself anymore. When families realize that – in 10 minutes for absolutely free, you can get all of these benefits of um, of 
growing empathy and compassion with your kids and the academic boost that reading aloud gives them and these shared sibling experiences and just all these myriad benefits and it's free and it's 10 minutes. It's sort of just, it makes us feel like we we're bubbling over with enthusiasm. So it's sort of like, you know, we called the podcast read aloud revival and that ended up being exactly what it turned out to be is sort mm. of a revival where we all realized, Oh my goodness, this is amazing. What this free, very simple activity can do for our families. Uh, I mean, okay, so I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Trelease's book, The Read Aloud Handbook. No, I'm not. Okay, so in that book, he he says that if we could have a pill that gave kids all the benefits that reading aloud gives them, that parents would stand in these really long lines and pay wow. all this exorbitant amounts of money to buy the pill because there's so many academic and social and emotional and familial benefits from reading aloud. So we would pay so much money to give this pill to our kids, but we don't even have to do that. You know, you just yes. grab a book off the shelf and read. It's just kind of amazing. So I think once we realize the tremendous impact, that simple act of reading aloud, it's like so many of us, so many families just think we can't keep this to ourselves anymore. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm like bouncing in my seat over here. Like I want to get my kids home from school because I want to read to them. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think that sometimes reading can be the first thing to go because it seems like, oh, we just don't have time. Oh, we're rushing around. Oh, we don't know what to read. Oh, so-and-so's, you know, moving around. So we just stop. Right. And so it's kind of an easy thing to discard as well. So as simple as it can be to implement, it's also easy to not do. And it's, oh, that's a danger. So much. Yeah, because when you're in the middle of a really busy, stressful day, the last thing you think you have time to do is stop the everything. You know, right. stop moving. And, uh -huh. and the other thing is you don't necessarily see the benefits of it right away. So mm. you can sit down and read to your kids for 10 or 15 minutes and you're just not even sure that made a difference. And so what I hope, that's what I'm hoping the Read Aloud family will do is help people understand. It's like a drop in the bucket. And if you can even just read aloud every other day for about 10 minutes or like a half an hour a week, that will add up over the course of a year to 30. I mean, a half an hour a week actually will add up to 30 hours over the course of the year of reading mm -hmm. aloud. And the benefits that can um, impact your kids and your family from that small little, those small little drops adding up. They're tremendous. But it doesn't feel like that when you're in the middle of a stressful day. It's like the first thing to go, right? Yes. Because you have to feed everybody and make sure everyone has clean underwear and get everybody to school on time or the dentist appointment or wherever. Right. And we have so many demands on our time and attention. Totally, totally. And I think what's so great is that reading with your children, it's an activity that I'm happy to do. I'm seated. It takes very little energy for me. Like, <laughs> yes. bring me a book. Bring a book to my couch or to let's cozy up in my bed. And, you know, I don't love playing characters for hours on end. I have all boys, so that's what my life is, Nerf guns and characters. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But reading a book, it's just so connecting. And we're going to talk more about what comes from that reading. But my first question is, I read aloud to my kids. It's really hard to get them to read aloud to me. I have an 8-year-old that is doing great in reading, but still, like, that fluency is emerging. I have a kindergartner as well who's just in the sight word level who, you know, is really struggling to develop that fluency. And he's at this breaking point where if he doesn't practice, yes, it will stay really challenging. Getting kids over the hump, what are some tips for getting them to read aloud to me? Well, we do this challenge every January at the Read Aloud Revival where we have kids read aloud. Every, they try to read aloud every day for the month. And whenever I, whenever I say this, I feel like I always have to qualify. I, I'm saying every day in air quotes here yeah. because um, I feel like we need to have a lot of grace for ourselves as parents. And so 
at the Reload Revival, we say every day is most days. Yeah, <laughs> That's perfect. Every day, as perfect. far as we're concerned. So um, basically, we have kids try to read aloud for ten minutes a day, as many days as they can in January, and. The first time we did it, we just thought it was a fun idea. Then we got all this feedback from parents saying their child's skill in reading just took this enormous turn. And that's because, I mean, turn for the better. They just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a huge improvement. And I think why is because when we read aloud, it's a different experience than reading silently on the page. So especially for kids who are not incredibly fluent readers yet, they can't skip words or Um, Even if they're good readers, they can't skim quickly like you can when you're reading silently to yourself from a page. When you're reading aloud, you have to say every word out loud. And one of the really great academic benefits that comes from that is that um, one of the ways we help our kids become good writers and speakers is we give them experience with grammatically correct and sophisticated language patterns. And unfortunately, when we read to ourselves, even as adults, we don't get those a lot of times because the better you are of a reader, the faster you get at skimming and like skipping connector words like the or and all that good stuff. So when, um, when we're talking to each other, in conversation, even adult to adult, adult to child, or definitely child to child, we're not talking in grammatically correct or sophisticated language patterns. We're not seeing those on TV. We're not hearing them on the radio or podcast, just because that's not generally how we speak to each other. Mm-hmm. So where you get grammatically correct and sophisticated language patterns is actually through written words. But if we're reading them with our eyes, we're skipping a lot and we're not getting them either. So it's getting them in through the ear or reading them out loud where you have to say every word that gets those grammatically correct and sophisticated language patterns in through the ear. And then our children um, are able to recognize and sort of intuit what that good grammar and good language sounds like and feels like. So when they write and they speak, they begin to use more grammatically correct and sophisticated language patterns. Mm -hmm. So if we can get our kids to read aloud, maybe even in a very short chunk, five minutes, 10 minutes, every other day or two or three times a week, we'll see an improvement in their own use of grammatically correct and sophisticated language patterns and better vocabulary because of that, um, speaking it out loud and it coming back in through their ear. Um, When we do the challenge at our house, and we don't do this all the time, I don't have my kids reading aloud all year long. We'll just do like... um, in January, for example, we'll do our, our challenge. I might do it again in the summer where I tell my kids, if you can read aloud for 10 minutes, either to me or to one of your siblings or to grandma for at least 20 days this month, then we'll have an ice cream party, like at the end of yeah. the month or something like that. Uh-huh. Something that kind of makes it a game or fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in our church, we our kids speak a lot. Like they're asked to give talks and things like that. And it's awesome. And I notice so much that when they're not regularly reading aloud from books, then when they read their own writing out loud to give a talk – it doesn't, it's, they're not emoting, they're not able to look up as much, you know, and they're skipping words and it's trickier, yeah. but there's so much more yeah. confidence even when they're reading their own writing um, in the way that they're able to communicate. Like you said, the writing, the reading, the communication, it's it's all tied together and all of those skills improve when your child is reading at all and reading aloud as well. And it's helpful, too, to realize that reading aloud is a separate skill from reading. You know, it's different than the decoding. Mm -hmm. So when our kids are um, reading out loud to us and they're not emoting properly or they don't, it doesn't sound like it's, um, 
they're not putting the right emphasis on the right words. That's okay. It's like a skill that takes time. Yeah. I mean, I think even as adults, if we're not used to reading aloud, we'll feel like it's a little clunky when we read yes. aloud. That's because it's a different kind of skill and it gets better over time. Well, so I'm having like, a lot of grace for our kids too, to realize we're all in process, right? Yes. And reading the scriptures, you know, you always feel like you're reading for the very first time, you know, more archaic yes. language and things like that. There's not that same kind of fluency there, but exactly. pra- practice does make it easier, but realizing it's never going to be perfect. And that's fine. That's not the point of reading aloud is perfection. Exactly. Yeah. I even realized uh, I was reading the audiobook version of the Read Aloud Family. And of course, I've wrote the book and I read it aloud <laughs> to myself as I was Ironic. writing it because that's, you know, it's making sure that's how I was writing it. Right. And still, as I'm reading the audio book, there were several times where I had to look at the producer and say, can we do that again? Because I read it in a compl- in a way that didn't even make sense. And I wrote the huh. words, so you'd think I would know, you know. Isn't that that's, interesting? That's the challenge of reading aloud. It's a whole nother, another level of difficulty. That is so funny. Reading aloud, the read aloud family. I love it. <laughs> Very meta. <laughs> so good. A constant problem I hear from moms all the time, and it happens in my own family as well, is that technology is just taking over everything. And even my kids wanting to read on the computer, you know, and they're like, I am reading. It's on here. I'm like, well, it's not the same as books, is it? How how do you deal with the technology versus reading the written word on a page, not on a, on a, on a screen? How do you deal with that? Okay, it actually isn't the same. And there's some really interesting research that shows that our eyes scan a screen differently than we read a book. Like there's a different – I can't remember if it's an L pattern or a Z pattern. I can't remember exactly. But basically our eyes are trained to scan and skim when we're on a screen. And so if we have been reading a lot on screens, whether that be Facebook or Instagram or social media posts or even – blog articles or whatever, if we get most of our reading done on a screen, we will find it more challenging to read a book from a page because we've trained our eyes to Thank you. Uh, trace Amazing. down the page. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. It's so tr- it's true. And it, we some of us feel like, why is this so much harder than I remember reading being? Yeah. And it's because we've retrained our eyes and uh-huh. our brains to read in a different way. Oh, amazing. Um, Dr. Daniel Willingham wrote this book called Raising Kids Who Read. And I had him on the Read Aloud Revival podcast to talk about screens because I think most of us as parents we want our kids to be able to use screens in a healthy way because we know they're here to stay right we want them to be able to use them in a healthy way but we also want our kids to be readers and what he said was if he was to give his kids a watermelon for dessert they would enjoy that if he was to put a big you know bowl of watermelon out after dinner everyone would grab a piece and say it was delicious and be happy but if he was to put a a bowl of watermelon and a bowl of candy out on the table the kids would always choose the candy. And he said it's reading is much like this where the books are watermelon and their kids will delight in them. But if there's a screen option, it's easier. It's hmm. um, It requires less of you than, than reading a book does. And so he said the best way to help our kids read more is to uh, have times of day where where you're not making your child make the choice, where we're putting this pressure on them to choose the watermelon over the candy. Instead, we just say, this is the time for reading. So for example, in our house, the last hour of the day, uh, you can either go to bed or you can stay up if you're reading your book, but Ah. you can't, uh, you can't be on a screen at the same time. So protecting our kids from having to make that decision. I know as an adult, I mean, I will bring my phone to bed thinking I'm just going to set the alarm, you know, (laughs) 
And then I, I'll set my alarm, put it on my nightstand, and I'll start reading, and I'll get like three paragraphs down, and I'll think, oh, yeah, I was going to check on that one thing. Right. And so I'll pick up my phone, and a half an hour later, I'm on Instagram. I don't even remember how I got there. Right. So I think if this is me as an adult who wants to be a reader, who I, you know, self-identifies as a reader – who makes like reading goals and stuff, how much <laughs> more pressure do our kids and teenagers have to just, you know, that whole fear of missing out what's happening online. So if we can take some of that pressure off by protecting uh, some times of day where the only option is uh, reading, but the, the other options aren't available, screens aren't an option, it sort of relieves them of that burden of having to choose. It does. It does. And now with more and more information coming out about like cell phones and things like that, a lot of kids are coming out saying, I wish my parents didn't buy me a smartphone because of the temptation and because of all the hard stuff that's on there and everything. Like, I wish that wasn't even an option, but they feel compelled to participate. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that, um, that I think I've, I've tried to consider with my own kids because, what I just said was have a few times a day that are protected from screens. We could even flip that to get better benefits. So you could say, you know, we are not on screens except for, and then choose right. a couple of times a day when screens are allowed. Because otherwise what we're doing is we're defaulting to always being able to pick up our phone or always being able to ah. whatever, video games. So uh, if we default to saying, you know, our screen time in our house is from three to five or from seven to nine or whatever works for your own family. Uh-huh. But, if it's not that time of day, then we're not on our screens. That can also be really freeing. Um, it, it'll be hard for like the first week and it'll be hard okay. for you too as a parent who's, you know, if you're like me and you're, you've gotten into the habit of picking up your phone a little too often, mm-hmm. then it'll be hard for you too. But then I think it feels so good to have the, uh, you feel like the space just opens up before you like, Oh, look at all this other stuff I've been missing while I've been yeah. staring at my phone. <laughs> totally. Well, I like how you flipped it. So screen free is the culture of our home. And then in this window, you can choose screens if you'd like, but yeah. like ultimately throughout the day, we're just not on screens. We're reading other things. We're doing other things. We're living our life. Imagine that. <laughs> well, and it can it can help a lot if you've got kids like I do, especially one in particular who will ask all day long if he can get on his if he can uh-huh. play his video game, or especially on the weekends or whatever. And right. um, and you just get fresh. It's like you're you're already annoyed before he even asks. Yes. You know, because yes. <laughs> they ask so often. It can help if you just if they just know that. In our house, we're on the screens are an option from four to six or whatever, and otherwise the answer is always no. So don't even ask. It can just it, it may improve your relationships with your kids as well because then you feel like they're not constantly asking for that thing that's driving you crazy. Yes, exactly. And if they know the expectation, they can rise to meet it. If they don't already know you're going to say no, then they're going to keep asking, right? Yes, but if they know exactly. it's not three to five, so it's not an option. You know, like we're we're setting that we're setting them up for success. And then if they ask in that window, then you can be a little annoyed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So the read aloud family, your new book. Tell me about what I'm going to find in there and what our listeners can find. Yeah, I'm so excited about this book. So we divide. I divided the book into three parts. Um, the first part is. Um, I hope it lights a fire, just like we were talking about how earlier uh, on, a, on a stressful, overwhelmed day, reading aloud is like the first, sharing a story with our kids is sort of the last thing on our minds, or it's the first thing to get off of our priority radar, right? Because we have so many other demands on our time and attention. What I hope the first part does, and I think it's four or five chapters, I can't remember exactly now, I, mean, I have it in front of me, so I should look. <laughs> uh, it, I'm hoping it will ignite a fire in readers to realize 
what benefits they're giving their kids, even when they can't see them right away. The mm-hmm. benefits of that growing of them in empathy and compassion for others, the benefits in their academic uh, world, the benefits in helping your child see themselves as a hero or heroine in their own story and want to live with virtue even when nobody's looking. I mean, there's we all want our kids to be courageous and good and kind, and yet um, there's almost no better way to inspire them to want that for themselves than to read something like the Chronicles of Narnia or what, and, and for them to want to be like the heroes and heroines in their, in the stories that they read. And also the just tremendous benefits, uh, within the family relationship of, of sharing stories. So the whole first part is I'm hoping a way to light that fire, uh, for reading aloud so that we see the incredible benefits, even when we can't see it necessarily on Mm. a Tuesday afternoon. And then the second part is six chapters that are really the practical nitty gritty on how to connect with our kids through books. So what I was trying to do is, um, you know, people are on a whole big spectrum. Some of us have not been reading aloud at all. And so as soon as our kids were reading on their own, we kind of quit reading aloud to them. Some of us are reading aloud to our teenagers. Some of us have all little kids. And depending on where we are in our own season of life and our own family dynamics, we're going to have different struggles, whether that's making more time to read, whether that's figuring out how to talk to our teenagers about the books they're reading that we haven't. So each chapter, um, I hope, will help parents, depending on what season they're in and where they're at in their own um, read aloud life, uh, troubleshoot and, and get better at it and, and feel more confident in the conversations they're having with their kids and choosing books for their families. And then the third part is my favorite part <laughs> because it's book list. And it was really hard to write this part. It was way harder than I thought it would be because some books read aloud better than others. You know, some books are yeah. just really wonderful books, but they're really books you want to read to yourself or you want your kids to read on their own. Um, some books are just really wonderfully delightful to read aloud and others aren't so what we did is created four different chapters based on ages of kids so whether your kids are zero to three or four to seven or eight to twelve or teens what are the best books to read aloud and I have uh, written descriptions of each of them there's there ends up being about 400 book recommendations altogether in the book and I've written a lot of descriptions of them I've read every single book I always feel like I should say that because I didn't make any guesses (laughs) every book in there I read and and feel really confident. It will be a good read aloud experience because there's nothing more more demoralizing than finally feel like I'm going to do this. We're going to read aloud and you get your kids and that's already kind of an art form, right? Right. Getting your kids around to read aloud and then Uh reading something that's incredibly dull or your kids are complaining about. So uh, what I wanted this book to do is where you could choose pretty much any book from the list and feel pretty confident you're going to have a great experience. Totally. Another thing that I love hearing about parents doing is when they're reading the same books their teenagers are reading for school so that they can <laughs> relate to them on that. So do you actually physically still read aloud with your teenagers? I do. So I have okay. 16, 14, 12. Those are my older kids okay. anyway. How does that um, look? And we read aloud something separate from the little kids usually. Uh-huh. Um and then a lot of times my kids are teenagers are reading books that I have not read okay. <laughs> for school. Uh-huh. And one of the things that has been really helpful to me as my kids have gotten older is realizing we can have some really good, juicy conversations about big ideas and current events through the lens of their book, even if I haven't read it. Mm. The key to that is having these open-ended questions where you can have a conversation with your child about the book they're reading without them feeling like they need to know all the right answers. So there's actually two chapters in the book um, 
I think they're chapters 11 and 12, but let me just double check here. They're 10 and 11, um, all about mastering that art of conversation, even if you haven't read the book. And then 10 open-ended questions that you can ask your kids about any book, whether it's a picture book and you're talking to your three-year-old or it's, uh, you know, Huckleberry Finn, you're talking to your 15-year-old, um, and whether or not you've read the book, these 10 questions you can ask about those books and no matter what kind of book it is, no matter mm -hmm. how old you're child is and the responses and the conversation that will unfold after you ask those open-ended questions um, will vary depending on your child's developmental level and the book that you're reading and it's really kind of magical but I will say you know some of the best conversations I've had with my teens about current events and big ideas and big scary subjects too mm -hmm. have started with the books they're reading um, either for school or for fun. So that's right. been a really fun twist that I didn't see coming in the teen years. <laughs> well, I think that's great because when you can talk vicariously about these either fictional or realistic type characters in other books, it kind of takes the personal aspect out of racism, bullying, whatever it is. And in, even if they're facing that in their own life, it, it kind of takes that off the burden off of them to feel like, you're questioning them, but you're talking exactly. about it in big ideas. And they can relate it back to them. You're raising smart kids, you know? And that's a really safe way to approach really hard, hard topics. I love that you use the word safe there because that's exactly what it feels like yeah. to me. We all want to launch our kids into their adult lives prepared to face the hardships that are there. But it's really hard for us to do that when we create these nurturing, wonderful homes, yes. right? And also, we don't really want to broach the harder subjects. At least I don't no. usually. Um, but what books can do is they can be this gateway, this really safe way to tackle really hard, gritty topics in the world uh, through fictional characters and scenarios. And then our kids have practice at thinking through these hard ideas when they see them on the news, when they go to college and right. they encounter things like that, we, you know, that they're not encountering in their safe home life as children. Yes. So I think they can be a really good safe gateway to harder conversations, to bringing up the things that we know we need to talk to our teenagers about. Oh, absolutely. Oh, bingo. Is there like a reading memory that really stands out for you with your kids that use the word magical before that reading can just be magical with your kids. Is there a certain memory or a handful of memories that stands out for you with your own family and reading? Well, one, um, I mean, this is kind of a lighthearted one, but, uh, I, I think this one's in the book too. We were reading the wing feather saga by Andrew Peterson, which is oftentimes a series I recommend for parents who say, ah, my kids read Harry Potter and now they don't know what to read next. And, um, they're fantasy tales. They're written by this Christian author. Who's just amazing. And the books are so wonderfully written. And, um, in the books, there are in the very first book, there's this grandfather who's tending the garden and there are these thwaps. Thwaps, excuse me. I couldn't say the word because it's a made up <laughs> That's word. That's a hard word. Thwaps, yeah. Yes. And there are these pesky little pests that eat the garden and pop up all over the yard, kind of like a mole, but they're fantastical. Okay, so we've been reading this book aloud, and we had just gone on this um, trip home across the state to visit family. So we come home, and we're all tired and grumpy, and you know how it is, like suitcases all over the house yes. and laundry coming out our ears, and I'm stressed. And my teenage girls come downstairs and they are super frustrated because their brother keeps hiding in their room, which of course is not, this is not going to fly. <laughs> so um, they come down and my oldest says, mom, you've got to tell Drew he cannot hide in our room. And he runs down and my girls are just, you know, at each other's throats and at his throat. And I see the wing feather saga, the first book in the wing feather saga sitting on the counter and it just something lights up in my mind. And I just turned to Drew when he came in. And I said, Drew, 
don't be a thwap. <laughs> and everybody started laughing. And it was one of those moments where, I mean, I think we were all about ready to kill each other, right? right? We all just started laughing. And he knew exactly what I meant. You know, right. don't be a pest. Stay right. out of places you don't belong. But it kind of lightens the mood. And it was one of those moments where the book we had shared let us have a funny, lighthearted moment instead of <laughs> stringing each other up. Um, that's and the that's best. the kind of, those are the kind of magical experiences that I think crop up when we least expect them that yes. are really fun when we've shared stories together. Oh, amazing. I love that. And only you would have, your family would have understood that at that yep. moment. And it just exactly. released that tension. That is a magical moment for sure. How much time do you spend reading every day? Oh, I love this question because I think people always assume that I read so much with my right. kids and I really don't because, uh, we've got, we all have a million things that we're doing, right? Yeah. Working and grocery shopping and laundry and school and everything. Um, so with my older kids, we don't even read aloud every day. I try to get to it about three times a week, three to four times a week. And we'll read aloud generally a chapter of whatever we're reading or about 15 minutes. If, if we can make it happen, usually they want me to read, keep reading. So we'll read for maybe a half an hour, but sometimes we can't make that happen with the younger kids kind of flying off the handle or mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe it's late at night and I'm falling asleep or whatever. Sure. My younger kids who are six and four, uh, the twins are four. Um, I will read to them definitely about 15, 20 minutes before bed every night. And then usually I'll try to read aloud to them again earlier in the day, about 15 minutes. But I would say, I mean, on a normal average day, I'm reading aloud for all six of my kids put together, I mean, less than an hour a day for sure. Half an hour maybe. Um, that will surprise and, people. That will really surprise people, yeah. but, but motivate yeah. people. With six kids, you are doing this. You're accomplishing those goals. You're, they're getting the added benefits and everything and, and at less than an hour a day. Amazing. Yeah, I think, okay, here's a, here's a couple keys, I think. First of all is to realize you don't have to do it as much as you think you do. Yeah. So if you were to read aloud 10 minutes every other day, like I said, that's about 35 minutes over the course of a week. Uh -huh. That's 30 hours over the course of a year. And you could read, you know, the entire Chronicles of Narnia or okay. everything written by Beverly Cleary plus everything written by Roald Dahl or hundreds of picture books. You can read aloud a lot in that amount of time. So it's just realizing you don't actually have to sit sit down for 30 minutes. Yeah. The second thing is to keep that in mind that if you're waiting for like a half an hour chunk, you're just not going to find it. So it's really helpful to throw a couple books in the car. So if you, if you happen to show up to soccer practice 10 minutes early or something, you can read a few pages or, um, not getting hung up on having to read a whole chapter at a time. Like that's why God let us make bookmarks. Yeah. <laughs> like you can use a bookmark and you can come back to it later. Right. Um, and then also if you can peg it to a something in your day that you're already doing every day. So if your kids always show up to breakfast, <laughs> that might be a good time to turn on an audiobook for, 15 minutes and you'll be surprised at how many books you can get through by turning on 15 minutes of an audiobook at breakfast before school okay. or if at at dinner time if you just have everybody stay at the table for an extra 10 minutes so you're you or your husband or whoever can read aloud for a few minutes it can add up and it's helpful to peg it to something that you're already doing every day because it will feel more like a ritual it will be a lot easier to slide into the habit because you won't have to come up with like the gumption and energy to think okay yeah. now we're gonna read aloud so everybody stop what you're doing and come you know and it will feel a little tedious once you get started if this is a new habit for you right so it's it's, it's gathering the supplies it's getting the audiobook it's getting the speakers that you're gonna play it's, are you playing it out of your phone are you playing do you need to get an audible subscription whatever it is are you going to the library but once you have those materials and resources some of which you already have in your home but you need to just kind of collect them all then implementing it and coming up with a plan and realizing the effort that you lay in the very beginning will certainly pay off and become so much easier later on. 
Exactly. That is so true. Yeah. So good. And so if people also, there's this great book, which I'll link to in the show notes, but you also host the Read It Aloud Revival podcast, which we mentioned as well. What will people hear if they tune into the podcast? So on the podcast, um, I interview uh, leaders and experts in the literacy movement and a lot of authors and parents. What we're doing is we're trying to help parents make meaningful connections with their kids through books. So how do we make these really warm memories with our kids? I mean, we all, so in the book, you'll see that there are these academic benefits like I've talked about, but I think really what our heart heart's longing is as parents is to connect with our kids and make these really wonderful warm relationships with our kids right we wouldn't any of us trade our warm relationships with our kids for better grades or something so we all really really want to have these warm wonderful relationships with our kids and so what we try to do on the podcast is help parents realize how simple it is to read with their kids and to make those connections with them through books. Uh, We do a lot of authors and illustrators of books that are coming out now because I think that's a little trickier for parents to navigate is the world of contemporary children's fiction rather than classics. Um, We do talk about some classics and we have episodes on, um, we're just about ready to launch a series of episodes on sort of nitty gritty practical tips for reading aloud with different age groups. So we'll have an episode on um, reading aloud with kids under three and then reading aloud with elementary age kids, reading aloud with teenagers and, um, that's about to, I think that starts next week, actually, that that series of podcast episodes. So. so good. I hope everyone will check that out. I love finding out about new podcasts because it's the easiest thing to recommend to people. It doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't require, you can't, you know, there's not a certain number of podcasts you have to or can listen to. It's like the more the merrier. It's amazing. I know. And it's so much nicer to tackle the laundry pile or clean With the bathroom the podcast when you can listen in your to a ear. podcast, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you are a lifelong reader Reading is your jam, and now people are reading your book. What is that like for you, Sarah? <laughs> it's so funny that you, you have a book because we're just releasing the Read Love Family. I was just at a conference last weekend where we had some early copies that we were able to, you know, to sell, uh-huh. and it did not occur to me until I was on the plane home and I saw some people commenting about the book they'd started reading it on Instagram, and I thought, oh my goodness, people are reading it. It's in their hands. I have one in my hands right now, and it's beautiful. Yes. Um, you know, it's so it, it's to me it feels like such a privilege because as a re- I mean even as a reader and someone who reads a lot, I know that I have to sacrifice something else I'm doing with my time and attention every time I read a book. Yeah. And so um, I feel like it's such a privilege that people are sacrificing something else in their life to read. And I really, really hope that when they read the book, they'll just feel lit up and on fire. And like not, uh, oh, I should do this like a guilt trip, but I can do this. This yeah. is going to change our family dynamic because that's what it's done in my own home and I just pray and hope that's what it does in the readers homes as well amazing and I'm sure you did a great job reading it aloud but it's definitely something you want to physically have in your presence as well so if you listen to it also buy a copy because then you do have those last chapters of book lists and everything that you're going to want to reference in the future so I definitely recommend a hard copy you know, that chapter on asking compelling questions, which is chapter 11, yeah. that's another one I think is probably helpful to have in your hands because sure. it's got those 10 questions that you can ask about any book, and it's really helpful to be able to flip it. I mean, I still, I'll still flip it open and kind of look at them again and remember what which, did I do? which yeah. question do I want to ask <laughs> uh, my 14-year-old who just came in and told me that she finished reading this or that book yeah. um, and just pick one from there. And yeah, Amazing. yeah, it's a good one to have in your hand. That, that chapter in particular is a good one to have in front of you as well. 
and you are so nice. You want to give away three copies of the Read Aloud family. Thank you so much for doing that. If people want to head over to my Instagram at jessicadahlquist 3 I'll have information about how to win one of our three books, and it's going to be running for a few days, so if you're listening to this on time, go ahead and check out that giveaway of those three books. Yay! Sarah, I love people that are experts in a field where, yes, I mean, I was a teacher. I love books. I read to my kids, but I am not nearly as knowledgeable as you are in this field, but I can take from what you know. You condense it for me. You put it in front of me. I can learn from your wisdom and your passion and your joy for reading and bring it to my own family and you are making a difference then in my family. So I just thank you for, for all the work that you're not only doing in your own family, but that you're able to share with others and impact theirs as well. Oh, Jessica, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. So thanks for having me on your show. It's been so fun. Where can people find you online? Um, readaloudrevival.com is the best place to go. You can pretty much get to me anywhere else online, right, right through readaloudrevival.com. We do have some free online book lists and articles that will help you get started with reading aloud there, as well as the podcast episodes. Amazing. I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? That is, oh, okay. Mm, so many things. Let me think about the one I'd want to tell <laughs> her most. <laughs> Um, I think I would say you are going to fail more times than you can count. And there is so much grace in motherhood. And I wish I could give my pre-motherhood self a little peek at my teenagers Mm. so I can see, like, see all the times you mess up and they still are so delightful and wonderful human beings. And, um, so just give yourself grace and enjoy it because, Uh, I don't want to do that cliche thing where I say the time goes by so fast, but um, I know that out of all the things that I'm going to regret some of the decisions I've made as a mother, what I know I won't regret is the time I spend really enjoying my kids and delighting in them. And so I know that the the moms that I've talked to who are done with the active parenting stages, (laughs) um, they'll say like what they wish they had done more is enjoyed and delighted in their kids and taken themselves maybe just a little less seriously. So that's the thing. I think that's what I would tell myself too. That's so beautiful. My oldest is only eight and I down to two years old. And and I feel like I'm in that stage where my house is just constantly a mess and it's just loud and crazy and, you know, and then I think, and then I stop in my frustration and think, Jessica, you wanted this. Like this is what you dreamed of. You wanted to be a mom so bad. This is, these are your kids. Like, live this life. Enjoy this life. This is what you wanted. And when I think of it like that, it's like, yeah, I'll take I'll take all of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's funny because when I look back at the pictures of my older kids being young, I don't actually see the mess. Or at least I maybe there's just a picture of, you know, Audrey playing with blocks on the floor or something. I know that the rest of the house was messy because I remember having three kids under yeah. four. And, it. I mean, there is no – not, I mean, there is no day where the house isn't messy, but <laughs> yeah. I remember angsting a lot about it, yeah. about whether there were dishes in the sink or I was caught up on laundry or I was making enough homemade meals or whatever. And now in hindsight, just not that long, you know, not that many years later, I think, I don't even remember that. Nobody remembers that, but they yeah. remember if I smiled at them, they remembered if I enjoyed them. And so that's, I mean, it's so hard to remember. I mean, I've got a bunch of little kids again, yeah, right? And right. it's so hard to remember, but that's what I think I'd tell myself is enjoy it. Just try to enjoy it and try to 
worry less about doing it all right because you won't, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, and for most of us, there's plenty of years left where our house will be neat and tidy, and when we clean up, things will stay where we left them. There'll be plenty of years for that. (laughs) I I, I say that, but it's so funny because I keep saying that, like, oh, you know, someday our house will be tidy, but my master bedroom might be the messiest room in my entire house, so I wonder if I'm telling myself the truth or not. Maybe Uh, I'm the messy one around here. (laughs) Maybe we just need to hold up a mirror sometimes. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Sarah, you're delightful. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for writing this book, The Read Aloud Family. You can buy it anywhere books are sold once this airs in April. And definitely check out your podcast, Read Aloud Revival, as well. Thank you so much for sharing your motherhood journey with us today. You are truly an extraordinary mom. Oh, Jessica, thank you so much. You're the best. Have a great day. Don't you just want to be best friends with Sarah? <laughs> I know that I do. Well, the good news is you can kind of feel like your best friends if you tune into her podcast or check out her new book, The Read Aloud Family. So her podcast is Read Aloud Revival. Her new book is The Read Aloud Family. Like I talked about, we are giving away three books over on my Instagram. So head over to Jessica Dahlquist 3 on Instagram and we'll give away three of these amazing books. You know you're going to want to win. And the giveaway is going to run through April 25th, next Wednesday. So make sure that you get registered for that. And I hope that you win one of these three awesome, awesome books. All right, coming out next Tuesday, we have an incredible episode with Leah Lewis. Leah's going to talk about her personal journey walking through a very unknown path as she was trying to get her son diagnosed with ultimately a very, very rare disease called Cabeza Syndrome. I'd never heard of it, neither had she, and it is a very rare diagnosis that only about 20 other families in the world have received, but she has been able to connect with these other families through proactivity and her desire to offer hope to these families. So if you're walking through any degree of uncertainty in any aspect of your life, I know this episode will offer you so much hope as she shares her own personal motherhood journey. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. You guys are the best. Do you know that we've reached 1 million downloads? 1 million downloads! I can't even believe it, but it's all thanks to you and your willingness to tune in every week, to share the show, to go back into the archives, to listen and to be encouraged by these incredible women. Thank you so much for showing up on this platform. It's like the little engine that could podcast, and we are still doing it two years later and a million downloads later. Thank you so much for your love and support. It means so, so much to me. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.